Welcome to Podcetera. Each episode is a journey of discovery as we delve into topics that pique our curiosity and yours. We feature in-depth interviews with fascinating individuals who have extraordinary stories to share. I'm Renee Lego. I'm Joelle Ludovic. And this is Podcetera. Jeff Nussera has been working in unscripted storytelling for more than two decades, starting with two of the genre's most groundbreaking series, MTV's The Osbournes and Newlyweds, Nick and Jessica. Jeff may be best known for sorting Weird Al Yankovic's fan mail since 2001. His latest project is Show Gals, a feature-length documentary that tells the story of Tight and Nerdy, the world's first burlesque troupe devoted to Weird Al Yankovic. The film follows a group of Weird Al superfans on what might be their final tour. Jeff joins us to discuss his documentary, Weird Al and His Mail, and the reality of producing television. Jeff, it's been a long time since we talked. We went to school together back in the day, back in Philly. That's where all of us in the, on this call met. In the but, 90s. Um, it was last century. Yeah. <laughs> Good God. Thanks for bringing sure. that up. Uh, <laughs> I want to start by having you intro yourself. Give us your give us the Jeff Nucera log line. Uh, I'm Jeff Nucera, and this is my log line. <laughs> it's okay, I, well, <laughs> I approach all podcasts very unpreparedly. Tell us about yourself, Jeff. I am a writer, producer, rewriter, consultant. And pre-award-winning documentarian. Is that is that something? That is something. <laughs> okay. Let's start with your latest project. It is Show Gals. And it is I show have, gals. I love the idea. So I want you to tell us about it and how it came to be. Thank you. Show Gals is a documentary about a troupe of burlesque dancers called Tight and Nerdy. And they perform to music by Weird Al Yankovic. It is a story of friendship and found family and nerddom that that bonds us all together. I'm waiting for Joelle to jump in. Oh yeah. So what are <laughs> clunk. <laughs> Sorry. So what are some parallels between what you're working on or what you've sort of experienced with showgirls and how would you connect that with the LGBTQIA community? There you go. How's that for a question? I like this question because I do, I actually find... Hold on, uh, closer to the mic. You're, oh, sorry. There we go. We know oh, hi. that nice bassy. Yeah. Yes. We want to yes. hear you. Hello. <clears throat> I think that, you know, Weird Al is, although he's not a, a queer performer, I think that his messaging is amplified by the queer community in a way. He is a proud outsider. And for me growing up, I didn't quite put that together, but I knew that there was something very special about being proud of who you are and standing out and not blending in. And so like a lot of queer people like myself are drawn to that message of self-acceptance. And again, it's, it's not something he's doing maybe so obviously, but it is very clear once you start to pay attention that it's like, oh, it's okay to be yourself. And the women in this documentary are kind of performing under that umbrella. I know when we talked before, this wasn't your idea, but was... now you are producing <laughs> it and directing it. So, 
I am. Tell us how it came to be. The founder of Titan Nerdy, her name is Pickles Kintaro. She put this troupe together in around 2012, 2013, and came to LA to, to perform a few times, and I met her there. And uh, at one point, she reached out to me a, a couple of years after I met her and said, do you think there's a, a documentary in here somewhere? As a reality TV producer, people come up to me a lot and say, oh, you should film my work or whatever. And I'm like, nothing, no, no, never. You should film me. Yeah. How come I'm not I, your reality <laughs> Exactly. Oh, we have so much fun. It's so crazy. But so I, I was initially like, uh, I don't know about this. But then I, I interviewed her over the phone, just sort of a, a, a little conversation with her. And then I talked with sort of three of her cohorts. And I was like, there is something really special here. And it's not, and it goes beyond the, the comedy of a Weird Al burlesque troupe. There is a story of family here. There is a story of finding each other and supporting each other and like female empowerment and body positivity and all of the stuff that like, you know, it, it means a lot to a lot of people, including myself. And so I was like, yeah, let's, let's see what we can do. So. I dragged my producing partner, Jonathan Ruane, into this, and here we are, so many years later, so many years. How does the audience react to this uh, burlesque troupe? It's a lot different than a lot of other troops, right? This is pretty specific. It is very specific. There is a, at least before COVID, there was a, there was a big nerd, nerd-lesque movement. So there's like a lot of Star Trek, Star Wars themed burlesque and this is you know even nichier of course but as pickles will tell you a lot of people will come to this show that have never seen a burlesque troupe perform before myself included i had never been to a burlesque show it is it's comedy like the the music's great i'm a big fan of weird al obviously but the music's great the performers are awesome they are so fun they're so funny and they're so wonderful on stage and they really, it just is so much fun. So the audience has a blast because they're also having a blast. So you knew Weird Al Yankovic before you started making the documentary, correct? Yes, yes, that is right, yeah. yes. And then so you sort of stumbled onto this group then that was ha just happened to be performing to his music or how did that sort of... Yeah. Kind of. I mean, I was a fan of Al's and, you know, growing up and, and met him in the 90s and then started working for him in the early 2000s, which was a dream come true. And then somewhere around 2013, a friend of mine from the UK, her name is Ludovica, she forwarded me this ad and was like, you have to go to this show. It's called the Al Stravaganza being put on by tight and nerdy and they're this troop and you have to go and you have to report back to all of the fans. And so I was like, okay, like, why not? So <laughs> a few of my friends and I went and I was like, what the hell is this slash it's the best. <laughs> Tell us where you are in the, in the process of the film. Are we, is it, when's it going to be ready? That's a great question. Renee, stop pressuring me. Oh, uh, it'll be ready maybe by the end of the year. We'll have a we'll have a cut. I don't know if it'll be ready. We have an assembly that is over three hours long currently. Our editor is right at this moment uh, taking some time off while my producer and I sort of regroup and look at it as a whole and say, okay, these are the pieces that are working. These are the pieces that are not. 
and let's get this thing down to 80 or 90 minutes and make a movie. The three of us are very, very familiar with documentary, and we understand the process of taking an enormous amount of footage that you have captured over years, lovingly. 135 hours of footage, not that I'm counting. And many times on your own dime for that long process. Correct. Tell us about that process for you. This is your first time. It is, and I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in that part of the process. Does that illustrate anything? Yeah. Yep. It's been a ton of fun. Like I've experienced things and gone places and watched shows that I never would have otherwise uh, met amazing people that were, that were telling their stories. You know, uh, I'm very grateful that they're all so open and, and, but what was the question? I'm sorry. (laughs) I just, my brain is, my brain is mushy because I'm in all of this footage all the time. A lot of people who've never made a doc don't understand that process the arduous process that it's horrifying yes you become an insane person as you're going through the footage i mean i am unstable maybe at best right now like my like i'm i'm watching this footage of these of these women all the time and then yesterday i spoke to them on the phone 40 hours a week 50 hours a week so i'm picking up like i've been having conversations with them the whole time and they're you know they haven't heard from me in months <laughs> I had a hard time letting go of footage, you know, scenes Mm. that I loved, even though they didn't necessarily relate to telling the story. I just thought they were so important that somebody needs to see this. Yeah. I think that maybe part of my reality TV training has, has cut me out of that. Like I am never allowed to be married to anything because it could just go away any minute. I can fight for things and I always lose and it always doesn't matter. (laughs) It'll matter more for the film, of course, but like, you know, a scene in Honey Boo, Here Comes Honey Boo Boo, uh, doesn't doesn't really matter. It does to Honey Boo Boo, maybe. Does it? (laughs) Honey Boo Boo. There's a family. (laughs) I've done done some terrible things, Renee Lego. (laughs) Oh, so we do have to have another conversation. (laughs) Oh, are you not Renee Lego? I'm sorry. Yeah, so do you, if you want to jump off there. Yeah, so I know, well, you are in the process of going through the footage now, Jeff, right? You said, so. Yes. Edit, yeah. Having someone else there to help with that process, which it sounds like you do, is 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 good to sort of bounce things off of. Our editor put together like an assembly and we were very, she's an excellent editor and this was very hard for her to do because we kept telling her, don't cut anything like it's going to be finished because most like a ton of this stuff is going to go away. We just need to see it laid out as a story to see what's working, what's not. And even if like we have a movie here. So it was frustrating for her to to sort of be like, well, I have to score it. And I'm like, no, you don't like, Oh God, like don't, you know, Uh, it's just, it's just hard to sort of do it in that way because she's very used to very tight deadlines. We work together with her on reality TV shows where it's like, okay, in three weeks, we need like a full hour of television somehow. So for this, it was like, here's 12 weeks. Give us, you know, as long as it is, whatever it is, let's just see what it looks like. And now we are able to see this three hour thing and just, and just be like, okay, well, you know, here, let's, let's pull, 
let's pull 80, 90, 100 minutes out of mm-hmm. this and see what happens. And and that's the part I, I'm enjoying because <laughs> it's like, get it out, get it out. You are enjoying cutting it down, though. For now, yeah. When it when it gets to be like 110 minutes and I need to cut another half hour out, I'm going to be real sad probably. But for now, I'm like, get it all out. Do you have distribution for it yet? I mean, is there someone that you have to sort of answer to in terms of the cut that you do make? Not really. No, we are uh, we are fully independent right now. Uh, we ran a Kickstarter earlier this year that was successful, surprisingly enough for all of us, uh, which is how we're affording to edit currently. We'll probably need to do a few more fundraisers and we're applying for grants and that kind of thing to, to sort of secure some more funds for music clearance. Um, Al has been very kind to us, but does not own the rights to his parodies. Those are those are with the original artists. So that's there's going to be some legwork to do uh, once we get to that point and decide what's in the film and what's not. Congratulations on like getting the funding. I mean, that's huge. Yeah, and that's like a Thank huge you. first step. Yeah, Kickstarter is hard, as it turns out. That was a f- very much a full-time job that I was not expecting. How long did it take? Ours lasted 30 days, I think. It was, you know, weeks weeks and weeks ahead of time, like preparing press and lining up interviews and, and just just getting ourselves ready. And then every day we had to be online engaging with people and posting stuff and TikTok, and which I'm not a person who knows how to do that. So my partner luckily <laughs> took on that role. And every day he'd be like, this is the trend today. And I'd be like, I don't know what any of this means. It doesn't mean it doesn't make any sense, but sure, go ahead. And he would get, you know, we would get these views and, and get people over to us, over to our fundraiser. And then with two hours left to go, we, we hit our target. <laughs> Wow, that's great. And fundraising, I'm sure, has changed from 20 years ago when we were first starting out to now in some ways, right? Yeah, you can you can bring it to the masses, which is great. People contributed from a dollar on up to 10 grand. It was really cool to see everyone come together. I think we had 500 contributors to our Kickstarter, which was very, very cool. Do you think a lot of these folks contributing were Weird Al fans? Lots of Weird Al fans, lots of burlesque fans. So how would you compare going through this process of making the documentary to your time in reality TV? Some of the things that you learned or... I mostly work in post-production for unscripted TV. You know, sometimes I'll go out in the field and do interviews and stuff. I really like interviewing people, despite my behavior today in this interview. I'm really good at talking to people. (laughs) I think, at least I like to think so. But in post-production, in, in, you know, in these TV shows that I do, we have support. We have, you know, it's more than just me and one other guy and an editor doing these things. So that can get frustrating at times, but it's also like nice to have, you know, a team of 15 cutting four or five episodes at a time, you know, and me just sort of overseeing that versus me hands and eyes on an avid editing system, trying to work it out with my brain and my partner's brain, and then giving it to an editor and going, can you fix this? Because I don't know what I'm doing. When you and I were back at Temple, I, you know, imagine... Last century, yeah, yes. last century. I imagined that when you left to LA that you'd be 
a writer. And I imagine that you would be a sitcom writer. It just seemed like that's what he's going to do. I can see it. And then you went out. That's to, what I thought too. Weird. <laughs> you went out to LA and promptly got in the middle of a, the writer strike. And now we're in the writer strike again. So tell me about that move to LA. And, you know, when you started out, everybody's got this idea of what they're going to do in Hollywood. Take us through that. Yeah, a career found me. I didn't find this career. It was sort of like I got here just before that that writer's strike happened and uh I was working in I was working on a on a sketch variety show. I had somehow fell into like the awards show circuit and so like I was doing like I was PAing for big shows, you know, like the TV Guide Awards. Anyway, well, if you get the um, TV Guide, it is big. <laughs> Young folks today don't know about it, but I know a friend of mine worked <laughs> at TV Guide. I don't know in Pennsylvania somewhere. There was a office. Ah, so jealous. Yeah, you had to like go to the TV Guide to see what was going to be yeah. on. And the, oh, I yeah. mean, I I feel like I'm yeah. such a TV nerd too. In that way, like I have nostalgia for some some of the old times. And you had. Yeah, I loved a good TV guide. It was so it was so compact. And you had and the grid, like yeah. packed with stuff. Yes, it was great. Those were the days. But yeah, so I was working these like weird stage shows, and then that the team that was hiring me brought me over to a sketch variety show that they were trying to do for for ABC. One of the producers on that show ended up as a showrunner on the Osbournes which was, you know, a, a reality sitcom at a time when that was not a term, really. It was like, it was a half hour family sitcom just in the Ozzy Osbourne house. And that really appealed to me a lot. They didn't want to really lean on interviews the way competition series were doing it. They were shooting their 15, 16 hours a day. It was, it was shot like a documentary. So cinema verite stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it was shot like it was shot doc style. And then we would just watch VHS tapes of the footage <laughs> and make notes. And, you know, I was I was an assistant that first season and then got bumped up to a segment producer and story producer. Uh, and we did Osborne's and Newlyweds, Nick and Jessica right around the same time. OK, we'll get to Nick and Jessica in a second. But let's okay. talk about. Okay. Uh, so you you were never actually on set, but you did mostly post. Correct. Yes. Uh, so tell us about the, the process of culling through the footage. I mean, it was pretty time consuming. I mean, we would we would watch probably, you know, uh, gosh, we would watch like seven to 10 days worth of footage to get a 22 minute show out of out of it. And we had some guides. I mean, you know, people would give us notes from the field and say, this is what's going on. This is the story, you know, that we're following today. And, but there wasn't a lot of producer nudging back then. Like now uh, reality TV is a misnomer, of course, but back then it was doc style. So we were so just, it was the wild west of reality. It was. I mean, we were there when, when they woke up. We were there when the kids were cutting school. We were there when they went to bed at three in the morning. Like we just we were just there all the time. Tapes would come back to us and we would watch them on VHS like animals. <laughs> you were a part of 
I'll call it a seminal moment in reality <laughs> television. You know, you worked on the Osbournes, which was one of the early, early shows. Yes. And you also worked for newlyweds, Nick and Jessica. And there is a very famous or infamous moment. <laughs> can you tell us about the, uh, the tuna moment? Yes. What I can tell you is, you know, the Osbournes was a huge hit at the time. I think it was MTV's biggest show ever uh, up until that point. And then the same team set up cameras in, in Nick Lachey and Jessica Simpson's house, uh, right? Uh, I think like six months after they got married. So they were newlyweds, Nick and Jessica. And I remember very specifically the MTV exec coming over to our office and looking at the footage. And we were kind of still figuring out what the show was. And he was like, listen, if we can get six episodes out of this, we're fine. And then, you know, a couple days later, my boss found this chicken of the sea is this you know tuna or chicken is this fish or chicken moment from jessica who was is so innocent and so lovely <laughs> and and just you know you know she was silly and and she was like lucy and just sort of like any thought that came into her head came out of her mouth like and it was and it was great it's great for reality, not great for her. It's great for reality TV, probably not great for her. She played it up, certainly, I'm sure. But like, at that moment, we were, she was like, we were like, oh, that's, that's funny. And I have a moment like this over here and she's sort of ditzy and whatever. And it was for better or for worse, probably for worse. It was, it was that era of dumb blondes, you know, being, being silly and, and just sort of, you know, it, it was, it was that era before it turned mean, I think, but that certainly didn't help. I feel like the exec producers were probably doubling down after that. Yes, it was, it was very much like, oh, well, anything that she says that's sort of dopey, let's go ahead and, and make it a moment. And, and, you know, at the time it was funny because of that era, but looking back on it now, you know, I haven't seen that show in 20 years or whatever it is, but did it age well? Maybe not. I don't know. But at the time, I can say that we weren't trying to be dicks to her. That wasn't our intention. Like she was having fun too, I think. I have not read her book, so I don't actually know that. <laughs> and I don't want to speak for her. But I, I, I do know that she was not shy about saying those things forcefully and loudly and proudly on that show when the cameras were rolling. Mm -hmm. mm. I think that's a good point that you sort of bring up about like, some of the things that were going on on that show or other reality type TV shows that now people would find like really offensive. I worked on this show called girls next door, which was the, which was set at the Hefner playboy mansion, which in the years that have flown by, we've, we've heard many tales from that mansion that were, that are not great. I was again, mostly in post. I wasn't on set for a lot of that stuff. I didn't, I wasn't exposed to it, but I do know that it was not a kind show. Whereas Newlyweds, Nick and Jessica, we had love for each other and for the, the people on our, on our set. I don't believe that there was love in that mansion. I don't believe there was love for our cast. I don't believe there was respect for our cast, not from our end, but from like the, the heads uh, of that show. Mm. um weren't weren't very kind um and so 
many of us left after season one. <laughs> I tried to leave mm-hmm. in the middle of season one, <laughs> but kind of couldn't get out. I have been listening to, uh, not to plug another podcast, but uh, The Girls Next Door uh, stars Holly and Bridget. They have a sh- they have a podcast called Girls Next Level where they are they are being very honest about what was going on at the time, and, and a lot of it's not great. Good for them. Good for them. Yes. hundred percent. And, you know, some of it I knew and some of it I didn't. And some of it, you know, I'm, I'm hearing stories about the executive producer who was uh, abusive to us in the office. Nothing compared to what they were going through, of course, but was just a monster. And then hearing them talk about how much of a monster he was to them. I'm like, yeah, that tracks. Of course. It wasn't fun. Osborne's was fun. Newlyweds was fun. And it had a spirit of just like, oh, let's just all kind of hang out and watch this. Uh, Whereas Girls Next Door felt exploitative and like kind of gross. A lot of people have come out with stories, especially after Me Too, of treatment on sets, bad working conditions for people. You've been working in reality for 20 years. Have you felt like you were treated right? Sometimes. Some shows are better than others, for sure. And look, again, I'm in post-production mostly where the, you know, the conditions are much less harsh uh, in general. That doesn't mean they're not hard. That doesn't mean I didn't work for some really shitty people. I know that the field is a different monster, and I can't speak to that a lot. But I know that, like, there's been some stuff. Like, I know that, you know, I know women who were in their office... Uh, in positions of power, they were executive producers, they were co-executive producers, and, and, you know, a person would come into their office and, you know, flop their junk out onto their desk. And it's like, okay, what are you doing? And, and nothing gets done about it. And people laugh it off like, oh, well, that's just how he is. And it's like, no, that's not how he is. That person is dead now. And so people are monsters, kind of in, in any industry, probably, but in TV production, because there, it's freelance, a lot of it, people just move from show to show and there's no real accountability repercussions. Yeah. Mm. And it's just like, well, I won't hire them again, but they'll get hired somewhere. Like that guy worked a lot. Mm. I would, and he was crazy. Obviously there are some terrible stories. There's terrible, you know, work environment stories that, you know, not to harp on girls next door, but that guy was a monster also dead but like didn't give any shits about anyone except for himself and was filled with rage and filled with anger and filled with hatred for everyone around us. I don't want people listening to think it's all bad in Hollywood. It is not. The lies and uh, stories that are being made up and I won't even go into it, but it's not all bad. It's not all bad. No, I, uh, no, some, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but since the question was <laughs> about <laughs> terrible things, I'm going to talk about terrible things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't be still working in the industry if it was that horrible, right? Correct. Correct. As you get deeper in and more confident, you can suddenly start to choose your projects and you can choose who you are working with. Like I'm very fortunate that I get to hire people I know and trust and like, and, and hang out with, you know, even if we're not working together, like, you know, you find your, your sort of family at work and, and that makes it a a lot easier. Even when you're 
in a situation where it's maybe, you know, you've got a boss or a network that doesn't understand or isn't, isn't kind, you can at least get through it together and trauma bond over it. Yeah. <laughs> Is it most of your work like gig work? Are you moving from project to project or what, you know, what's the longest you've been on a project? I did five seasons of a show called Gigolos, which was a half hour comedy, sexy comedy for Showtime. I've seen it. Yes. I had to watch and see Jeff's credit. Uh-huh. Uh, I can just text you my name uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's sort of the same. I felt like that was being a supportive friend. Like, oh, look, I'm watching the credit roll. I, you know what? I appreciate that. <laughs> I don't get a credit roll for my day job. So I'm, I'm living vicariously through your <laughs> We should get credit yeah. rolls for our day job. Every night as I go to sleep, I see your name roll up. <laughs> Shouldn't everybody have a credit That's roll? Some, I think I'm on to something. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, back to your answer. Yeah, so Gigolos, that was you know an example of, the, of a show that was a ton of fun. Had a blast doing it. It was at a company that I really enjoyed and I've worked with before and since. We had a pretty tight-knit crew that, that just came back year after year after year, and, and it was a ton of fun. And then after the show ended, everything gets ruined, always. <laughs> right. It's not to be dark again, but one of the gigolos <laughs> of, uh, was a... Um, oh God. Do we want to talk about this? I mean, okay. You can go there. You can go there. <laughs> You're like, we're gonna. <laughs> well, he... Uh, let, for, let me just say... <laughs> Every reality television cast member I have worked with in my 20 years, this guy would have been at the very bottom of the list of people I would have suspected to do this. Uh, he ended up uh, during COVID doing mushrooms and murdering uh, the woman he was with, Jeez. which is obviously terrible and heartbreaking and awful and just broke me a lot broke a lot mm -hmm. of people a lot i think you know we all had a different experience with him and it was always peaceful and lovely and he was very gentle uh with all of us uh and then to hear this from him was is just awful he's in prison now and rightfully so i don't think i've ever ever heard anybody kill anybody on mushrooms so what kind of mushrooms was this guy taking i don't know i I don't know. And he, you know, that was one of the shows where I would go out and interview the, the, the cast. I was in the field only for interview days. I was not there during like any of the scene work, uh, especially the gross scene work, but I would go out there two, three times a season and interview the guys and talk to them. And, and, you know, I had a rapport with all of them. And, and so for this to happen was really astounding to me. I had never known a murderer before. Have you? Well, now I'm one degree away from. <laughs> Joelle? No. You spent a lot of time in Philly. No. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Where do we want to go from here? Moving on. <laughs> you told us about your worst reality star. Who was your favorite? Who is the delight to work with? Uh, what a good question. Who is a delight? Everyone else <laughs> is a delight. Anyone who doesn't murder their girlfriend. Anyone who doesn't murder is a delight as far as I'm concerned. Ozzy Osbourne was pretty iconic. He was pretty cool. It was awesome to see him be so himself. Even at his worst, you know, when he was 
relapsing and drinking again and, and back on meds and stuff. He was, it was really an honest portrayal. And I thought that was really important and really interesting back then. And I still think that like, there is a reason why so many reality shows kind of don't matter anymore because they're not honest. They're not real. They're not. And that is palpable. Like, I feel like that comes across to audiences who, who can sense that like you, you know, when someone's being honest and, or, or not. And so when you see that, when you see a show like the Osbournes, which doesn't come out along very often, um, you know, it's, it's why Jersey shore was such a hit. Those people were themselves, uh, you know, for better or for worse, it was a hit because there was a ton of just raw honesty <laughs> from those people coming, coming across. And it's fun to watch. It's interesting to watch as opposed to, you know, Kardashians have been on the air for 255 years ish, but it's all fake. Well, it's very, very, I won't say scripted, but constructed around them. Some might say scripted. Well, that yes. too. <laughs> but huge. That show took off like it is huge, yes. And then their own show after that. I don't know, something about them. Yeah, but it's not special. There's something about it that's not special somehow. It may be a hit, but I don't know. It's not charming to me. Am I old? Is that does that make me elderly? Okay. Well, you're not the audience, right? Are you? Well, I don't know. I'm not the audience. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not any audience, but probably. <laughs> do you watch any reality television? I don't, unless I'm getting paid to do so. I really, I, I did watch Jury Duty, which I thought was excellent. Joel, have you seen it? Jury Duty? Oh, put it on your list. No, put it on yeah. your list. Mm-mm. It's it's an excellent I've heard about piece it. of art. Yep. Um, and it's and it's not mean, which was my concern going into it. I thought it was going to be similar to like Joe Schmo, where everyone's just sort of pranking this poor club. But on this show, yes, they're pranking someone, but it, it's all in good fun. And that really comes across and it's really cool, I think. And then before that, the last reality show I watched was from like 10, 15 years ago called Small Town Security, which... The first episode of that, if you can find it somewhere streaming, please watch. It's it's maybe the best half hour of television, scripted or non-scripted, in quite a while. Okay. It is called Small Town Security. Yes. Small Town And filmed in what security? small town? Do you remember? It's filmed in Ringgold, Georgia, I believe. I'm going to toss to Joelle because I've taken a lot of air time. Hi again. It's me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so who are some of the you know sort of celebrity type folks that you've encountered in la does weird al count well sure I technically encountered him in hershey hershey pennsylvania <laughs> outside of work i've i've met a variety of lovely people like uh Mar- like marsha wallace was was a highlight probably the the biggest one i met just sort of like going about my business was betty white I was in an elevator. I was still a production assistant. It was really early on in my life in LA. And the sort of unspoken rule is to kind of just leave celebrities alone. But I was in an elevator with Betty White alone. And I was like, I have to speak to her or I will regret it for the rest of my life. And I just told her how funny she is and was and uh, how much of a fan I was. And she was so warm and so sweet and so lovely. And she's like, thank you so much. And so nice to hear like she just is as 
was as as sweet as you wanted her to be. It was it was very lovely. Oh, that's sweet. I only get weird encounters. You get, you know, <laughs> like Fabio asking me to if I was going to do another set at the gym. <laughs> and were you? I can't believe it's not butter. That's who I meet. <laughs> I once had to escort Emo Phillips uh, across uh, a busy intersection to a, to an event at Hollywood and Highland, uh, and that was among the weirdest things I've ever had to do. I met Tim Robbins in an elevator in New York. How was that? It's, you know, it was a little intimidating. You know, it was me and someone else in a, a building where she had this person had an office, and he had an office, and. He was in the elevator. Just said hi. How are you doing? You know, like that. He was nice. You know, small talk. Nice. I once uh, yelled at Louis Anderson, but but I thought he was someone else, and I have felt terrible about it ever since. Should we apologize? He's not still alive. It is too late for me to apologize. All right. Well, I happened to be at a concert, and I went. To- into the bathroom, and there was a very, very intoxicated Cloris Leachman. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Stumbling. Stumbling drunk. I was like, wow, this might be... Wow, that's This fun. might be it for me. This is, oh, this is probably going to be my greatest celebrity encounter ever. Did you engage with her? No, no. I was like, just kind of starstruck. <laughs> Didn't expect her to be in the bathroom, but boy, she was... She she tied one on, for oh, sure. Man. I was but. at my friend's. My friend is a, a a game show nerd, to the point where he will have parties and and uh, he'll play like real life pyramid or or password. And I was playing password, and part of the celebrity panel was Mindy Cohn, just at his house. Like Mindy Cohn's just at his house, and I got to uh, she and I got to match, and then we be, we became friendly that day. Uh, she doesn't keep in touch, though. Weird. That sounds fun, though. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a good time for me to ask my random husband question of the podcast. <laughs> and I should probably have some music that goes along with this. Yes, yes. But my husband's random question, and it's a good segue into Weird Al. What does Weird Al smell like? He smells like Nirvana. <laughs> Teen spirit? No, Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> He smells uh, the grunge Nirvana. Yeah, or... yeah. He smells okay. clean. I think. I usually see him after shows, and he's like freshly showered and smells lovely. Yeah. Thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> I thank my husband for asking. Still casually friends with him, and what's he the... is? He is my greatest employer. I am a lifelong fan, as you know, um, and around w- about a year after I moved to LA, they asked me if I would be able to take a part-time job sorting his fan mail. And I've been doing that <laughs> ever since. <laughs> does he get a lot of fan mail? He does. He does get a lot of fan mail. Back then, he got a ton more because it was you know, pre-social media and, and if people wanted to like order stuff they had to order it through the fan club like with a paper check and like a letter and an order form because that's 
how long ago it was. <laughs> um, <laughs> nowadays, there's a lot of, you know, interaction on social media. So like the stuff that comes in is mostly autograph requests or just like pledges of love, not in a gross way, but just in a like really sweet, like you have meant a lot to me over the past 40 years. You know, my, my dad listened to you and now I listen to you and now my kid listens to you. Like it's, it's a lot of that kind of stuff, which is really cool to, to see. How's his response to that? I mean, do you like read him his letters or does he read them or what? I, all I'm doing is like, if there's sort of just a generic autograph request, I can like send that out. But if it's something that needs to be, you know, more personalized, I will pass those along to him. He'll sign stuff and like throw them in the mail himself. I give him all the letters that come in, except for the song ideas. If people write in with song parody ideas, I have to send those back. Oh, you have to send them back to them? I do. I send them back to them with a little form letter that says, go somewhere else with this. <laughs> Aw. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Have you ever written him a letter? I used to send him like birthday cards when in the 90s, last century. <laughs> Before he, you were opening his mail or you slipped in your cards into the mail that you were sorting. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Here's mine. Yep. <laughs> Sandwich it between a couple others. I'll never That's notice. Funny. <laughs> That's funny. My own song ideas in there. No. <laughs> you had a question, Joelle, about Weird Al. I did. Is it about how he tastes? Oh, I don't know. No. No. No, thank you. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, while she's looking for the question, how about um, I ask you about your favorite Weird Al song? Oh gosh, that is hard it's to pick. Hard, I'm sure it's going to be hard it's for you hard because pick. you're like, a, I, would you consider yourself like a, a mega fan? I would, yes. I would indeed. I don't know how many times I've seen him live, but it's probably in the three digits by now. Well, I would love to go to a show with you. You should come to a show with me. Let's do that. Let's make it. Let's right. make it so. Number one. All right, next tour. Next tour. Okay. A Weird Al show. Yeah. Tons of fun. Tons of fun. It'll be my first. Uh, I, so I have not seen you, him. How did you escape? How did you escape the nineties knowing me by without going to a weird Al show? I, I don't know. Remember I didn't live in LA that long, so But in even in college when we were in, in... I don't know. I was hanging out with <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes. We... We won't go into those stories. This well, this part won't That's make the, it on the on the podcast. Oh, I remember the, him. Is that the spinoff? <laughs> Joel remembers him too. <laughs> I remember him. Will you be interviewing him on this podcast? Because I that's all I want in my life right now. I want you to make that do, uh, that film with me. If we're talk about reality. Well, it's got to start. I want to start with this, <laughs> Joel. I can tell you, you would blow your mind. All right. Some other you can tell me off 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 the show. <laughs> Sex symbol. Uh, oh, what? Isn't that your question? No. Oh, no. Uh, maybe this. Is <laughs> <laughs> That's not my question. I don't say this. I have questions. <laughs> <laughs> might be your. This question. might be another husband question. Sorry, I yes. might be a <laughs> double double rounds here. From my husband is Weird Al sex symbol. Is he a sex symbol? Uh, for some, yes. J judging by the letters I have seen, yes. 
I have seen some letters where where people, women, are uh, very into him. Since you've known him all these years, tell us something that we don't know about Weird Al. What don't you know about Weird Al? He is... Every, everyone knows this, but I'm going to say it anyway. He's the nicest man on the planet to the point where it's almost alarming. I get very nervous around him because I feel like, what if, what if I'm the person that somehow upsets him so much that he just melts down? And like, wh- like what if that happens to me and I, I've broken Weird Al? I don't know. <laughs> I, I have to talk to my therapist about this. I'm break? not. I don't Wait, want. I don't trying? want anything to do with that. <laughs> Why are you worried about? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Seems like enough thing to be worried know, about. No, I've never spoken that fear out loud. Now it's out in the universe, and I'm doomed. Oh, do we need to make an edit? If yes, if I vanish, please tell my story. Oh, jeez. <laughs> what's some of the like? What's his favorite food? <laughs> I don't know. He's he's vegetarian or vegan, depending on the day. Yes, I think that he is a secret hoarder, uh, not in a messy way, and his wife tamps that down pretty well i think but and he's admitted that like it's not it's not that's not a secret either i don't know i don't have any weird else there are no weird all secrets he's just he's just like a really nice what you see is what you get kind of guy and just very humble and very just a nice guy i mean honestly like he the, the idea that that i am like even in his outer circle somewhere like is is really an honor for me <laughs> i'm surprised he never did a reality show uh, he doesn't have to. He doesn't want to. Like, why bother? Like, I, I mean, honestly, like, there's no, there's no reason anyone should be doing a reality show. To, to be totally frank, or Al, and myself included. <laughs> yes, to be Al. To Wait. be totally Al. To be totally Al. We both share a love of TV, and y- yes, if you weren't doing reality TV and you could do anything, what would you do? Uh, I would be working in sitcoms, 100%. Half-hour comedies are my jam, for sure. I love it. I love it all. Do you have any ideas for like writing one of your own? Or? I don't. I really should get on that. <laughs> Maybe after the documentary. <laughs> I just thought over the years that you'd come up with some Yeah, you would think. Ideas. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can make one about me. Yeah. Legoland. Okay. okay, let's do a speed round. <laughs> we're losing we're losing momentum here, so let's pick up pick it up. <laughs> we're doing Jeff's a speed round. Into, well, I uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I thought you were going to ask. <laughs> okay. Well, well, I feel the urgency of, of Joelle's dogs yipping at yeah. the, at my heels here. <laughs> I feel okay. the urgency. I need to go. So, <laughs> poor Jeff. He's like, this is not what I expected. At all. I wanted to ask you, uh, what's your favorite Halloween costume? Uh, I had had surgery. Um, uh, for uh, an appendix issue um, and I couldn't walk the parade route in West Hollywood so my friend put me in a wheelchair we decorated it like cherry and I dressed as Pee Wee Herman and that remains my favorite Halloween costume number one movie quote of all time it would probably be don't call me Shirley from Airplane 
Airplane is one of the best comedies of all time. Not appropriate Not these appropriate, days, but, very, but very quotable. I think we'll oh. wrap it up because we've, we've taken enough of your time, Jeff, and uh, Joelle has to feed her dog. But yes. why don't you give us one more plug, maybe give the website information, or if people want to still donate to your film, tell us what they need to do. Showgalsthemovie.com. You can, you can see the thing that's not our trailer. You can make a tax-deductible donation uh, through the Film Collaborative which is a, a 501c3 charity organization that helps filmmakers make their dreams come true. And if somebody wants to pitch you a sitcom idea to make, where can they reach you? Yeah, please, please find me on my social media uh, link in bio. I don't know. Where, <laughs> is that a thing? <laughs> You're just not good at promoting yourself, Jeff, are you? Yeah, slide into my DMs. <laughs> D- DM for collab. DM for collab. There it is. Got it. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for coming on Podcetera. Sure. I'm sure they will be lining up. <laughs> Maybe I'm doing this myself, Jeff. I don't Joelle know. Joelle just like bailed. And I, I love know. that about she- her. I- That's Joelle. <laughs> this was a ton of fun. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and share Podcetera. And be sure to follow and like the series wherever you enjoy podcasts. For Podcetera, I'm Renee Lego. And I'm Joelle Ludovich. Thanks for listening. See you next time.